This is the safari. The safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. As I record this podcast, it is UN week here in New York City, middle of September, and uh, I must say it is very noisy. If you hear sirens in the background, that's what it is. And um, I would note also that it's quite remarkable how incredibly rude all the secret service and security people are to New Yorkers. I mean, you walk down the street and literally people are being herded and pushed out of the way. Anyway, enough on that. Uh, Jenny Bike is our guest for today. She is the founder, co-founder and CEO of Orchard Mile, which is a luxury marketplace that was founded five years ago. Uh, in New York to help luxury brands really allow them to get more sales. And it is a marketplace that is mono brand only. So all the brands from Chanel Prada, Balenciaga, Valentino, etc. at the highest luxury end, all the way to contemporary brands like Bash and Zadig and Voltaire and uh, Alice and Olivia, Deandre and Fustenberg and everything in between. Uh, can be the best of multi-brand and the best of mono-brand in one environment. And the My Mile platform allows users to create their own shopping street, Madison Avenue in the sky maybe. And it's really fun for me to be able to be with Jenny, who is a co-collaborator on this project, because we were there at the very beginning with her. And um, so I look forward to you guys listening in on some of our maybe board meeting type chat. Jenny, it's so nice to have you here with us. Thank you for joining the Safari. Great. I love safaris. This is going to be wonderful. It is going to be wonderful. So full disclosure, Jenny and I are not only good friends, but we have been partners and colleagues uh, for about five years now. Uh, she is the CEO of Orchard Mile, which is a company that we've been involved with for quite some time now. And um, it's uh, great to be able to have a, a chat uh, and give all you guys a little bit of a window into everything that we talk about pretty much every evening, right? Uh, at the end of every day. So just for everyone listening, maybe give a little bit of your background, um, you know, not just your professional background, but your, your personal as, as well. Sure. Um, it's great to be sitting here with a mentor and a friend. Uh, it's been a quick five years, but we've done a lot of things. I uh, am from Texas, but my parents are South Korean, and I was born in Iowa, so that makes me kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of things. But I moved to New York when I was 22 years old and uh, worked in the high-yield origination group at Goldman Sachs for two years. Uh, then I joined a startup with a um, friend of mine who was doing a men's and women's apparel brand, which I learned that uh, things are very difficult, and young designers really need a lot of help, so that was probably the first foray I got into what the kind of economics and the volume needed for uh, brands to survive um, going forward. 
Then I decided to go and learn what business was all about in terms of how to run one. So I thought business school might be able to help me out on that. Um, I'm a HBS 2008 grad. And then, you know, everyone was going to cons- uh, to banking and to consulting firms. And I decided um, not to do that and actually decided this whole thing called inter- the Internet wasn't going away in 2008 and said, why not join um, a digital marketing company? So joined Omnicom Group and was there for four years, really helping them build out a digital data and analytics platform um, at which point I got a LinkedIn message and I was pinged by Burberry, which um, I said, listen, I don't want to be part of the fashion world. I think this is a culture rather than a business. And, you know, I have a lot of these business school loans to pay off, but they were so compelling about, hey, there are so many great digital things that brands aren't doing. We want to really push the envelope and we like the the work that you've been doing at Omnicom. So I went over there, worked under um uh, in the tenure of Angela Ahrens, uh, who has since gone to Apple and is now running a bunch of different things. And uh, just, you know, just started looking at marketplaces then in my tenure as running strategy at Burberry. So there were a few people on the Orchard Mile side who were thinking about this concept from different vantage points. And everyone came together one day and you being on your side and us being on another and there were a few other people involved. And what was it about um, Orchard Mile when you were thinking about it sort of in your own uh, ecosystem, as it were, at Burberry, that when we all came together, um, what is it that, that caused you to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job and go do this? Well, I think having the background of understanding the huge impact that digital was going to have on the retail world was a good genesis to effectively try Orchard Mile. And the reason why, and this is a somewhat controversial statement, is that I don't think any retailer that is not a marketplace will survive in the future. And simply the reason why is that if you look at the digital landscape, it's a democracy, right? You have to drive everyone to your store. Morty, you and I often joke about this Marfa picture. Do you want to describe it? Yes, the, the Marfa Prada uh, store. Uh, there's a photograph of the Marfa Prada store, and it's a small Prada store uh, in the middle of the desert on its own. Why is that Im- important, Jenny? Well, because if the digital world is a democracy, what you're saying is I have to fight, even if I'm Prada and I have a huge brand that is very, um, I guess, lauded in the industry, I am still having to duke it out just as much as a small upstart brand that started yesterday, right? So what the internet is saying to us is, hey, you need to be relevant, you need to have people on site, and they need to find you. And if that's the case, then things like SEO really matter. And so I think that for us, we were just thinking about, I mean, us as a collective founding team, we were thinking about how can we create something that is boosted by SEO, right? It's boosted by the digital changes. Um, and that can actually help brands as well as consumers. So I think to give the listener uh, an understanding of where we're going in this chat, um, there are a few areas that I think Orchard Mile brings to light. Um, personalization is very important. Loyalty is another. And then this idea of a luxury wallet. Uh, we'll discuss all three of those things here today. Um, maybe start with personalization. Orchard Mile is a personalization engine uh, as much as anything else. How is it personal? How is it different than, let's say, Net-A-Porter or Farfetch so that people listening understand? Sure. And this is under the context of my mile. Um, So as a consumer, 
I think all of us, whether you're women or men, you are looking and constantly searching for that particular item online. And what's interesting is that um, brands that you know are what is our search terms, right? But the thing about discovery is that you aren't going to be able to type in what you don't know, right? The things that you might like and you might you might want to discover, and that's the surprise and delight factor, obviously, of retail. So in terms of my mile, it's can I build my perfect Madison Avenue? What does that look like? It might not look anything like Madison Avenue. It might look like Abbott Kinney in LA. It might look like Avenue Montagna in Paris. But this ideal selection, this curation of not just what a fashion editor tells you is cool. Here are not the top 10 bucket bags because you hate bucket bags, actually. It is what is one-on-one curation for me. If I were to have my ideal shopping street slash my ideal department store, what would that look like? Um, and w- you know, how would that interact based on the clicks and the behavioral aspect of how I interact with the site? Right. And so, you know, when you go to a typical website, why does it not know already that you're a size four or that you're a size six and a half? Why do I have to continue to click these all these boxes? So that's why on our site we have the idea of never filter again, because that would be the ideal. Yes. I I always like the joke that you tell. Maybe I'm the one that tells it too much, actually, (laughs) which is that the only tab you need open is at the bar because you can close all the other tabs on your computer. You only need Ultra Mile open. But so there's so many SKUs. I mean, there's there's hundreds of thousands of SKUs. How does how do you feel that it enables the consumer to navigate all those products? I mean, there's there's it's it's a quandary of choice. Yeah. Every single woman that I spoke to um, prior to launching Ultra Mile they mention that there's this endless kind of scrolling, this endless page one through 17 of black dresses, right? So if that's the case, how do we narrow that down so you are getting offline as quickly as you got online? And this idea of ease and peace of mind that you saw what is right for you rather than necessarily seeing everything is uh, is something that we're definitely uh, providing. So it's good for the consumer because they get this a uh, wide variety, a very broad selection of products. But how do you feel that they uh, really interact with the brands and why, therefore, is it good for the brands to be on Orchard Mile? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you're trying to create the Spotify of fashion, which is something that quite a few companies do throw around as a vernacular, you need the full breadth of product or you're never going to truly get the minutia of what a consumer actually prefers. Um, so that's number one is can you provide full collections to have the breadth of product where the assortment is widely available for the consumer to, to choose from? Um, and so for us, it's not just about the brand, but it's also categories within the brand. So we often say the Oscar de la Renta earring shopper is so much different than an Oscar de la Renta dress shopper because the price points are different. Often the ages are different. So in that case, what people actually buy is very, very telling for the brand, right? And so... And you can give that data back to them, presumably. Absolutely. And what people, not only just what they bought, but also what they looked at. Here are the things that they might have looked at, but they chose not to buy. And actually, as we're looking closer into the data, what we find is that what people actually choose not to buy, like X out of, that I don't want to see this anymore, is actually more telling of um, future predictive uh, suggestions. So what is it that the brands do, uh, in your opinion, that make them a super user of Orchard Mile versus brands who maybe uh, could do more and would be more successful if they acted a certain way? Well, the brands that do very, very well for us are the ones that um, 
truly engage, I think, with our team and are willing to push, push the envelope and truly be innovative. And what I mean by that is not necessarily throwing out new capsule collections every week. I don't actually think that's a great use of time or energy. I think it's about, you know, for any e-commerce site now, you're in part a media company and a technology company, right? You have to be good at both. And the idea here is reach. So how do you combine the power of a brand's reach with the power of, you know, our social platform, our email messaging, our storytelling, which is multi-brand, as you know, which is much more engaging from what consumers tell us than a singular brand story. So the willingness to be part of a story that is much more relevant, say swimsuits uh, in the summer in um, Italy, kind of uh, editorial in the summer, um, and that multi-brand story being straight into the consumer's inbox is um, compelling for the brands should they choose to engage. So staying on personalization, reference the Spotify fashion, and we have a lot of conversations about this and about where that could go. Um, people have the ability today to create their own mile, their own shopping street on Orchard Mile. But presumably they could maybe make one for their friend, their sister, their mother. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I always joke around because I love my co-founder Julia's um, weekend style. And we're always using her as kind of a model of like, oh, I love that hat or I love those sandals. So for us, yeah, actually, actually there are different, I think, occasions and different role models and mentors you have in your style psyche, I guess, all of these archetypes that are not the typical segmented downtown diva or uptown preppy, all of these archetypes that traditionally retailers have used to merchandise their product. It's much more specific than that. Sometimes Julia is a little downtown and sometimes she's a little uptown, but actually it's a unique combination of the brands that she likes, the categories and the price point that I can afford now, maybe not as she gets older, but it's all of that that uh, is that makes someone unique and their shopping patterns unique. So when you go and therefore to the loyalty side of, of the coin um, and you have a consumer that's bombarded with loyalty programs of all shapes and sizes and whether it be at the department stores or on the airlines or their uh, credit card company what is it about the orchard mile loyalty program that you think sets it apart and how it comes into the sort of virtuous cycle that is being provided by you so we've created a personalized loyalty program that is a combination of both experiences and um, for the folks who might not be able to to um, access those experiences, um, actual merchandise gift cards. So for example, if you were a mom and you bought a dress for yourself and you also bought a cute dress for your kid on Orchard Mile, we will know that and we'll be able to shoot you an email and say, hey, listen, we noticed that you are a valued customer of Orchard Mile and we would love to give you two hours of free babysitting via Kid Pass. So that kind of Angle is very interesting, I think, to millennials who are our core customer set. Over 60% of our customer set is uh, millennial in age. And yeah, it just reinvents loyalty in a way that's experiential and interesting for our consumer. And so loyalty, therefore, you know, brings them uh, this, these experiences. It brings them into uh, the ability to maybe engage with the brands in, in some of the uh, things that they provide uh, for their customers? I mean, how, how do you link the brands into that loyalty cycle, as it were? So we know what um, people have purchased. And in that sense, brands can participate in the sense that they can double the points should a um, 
consumer want to purchase a particular dress and as full price and all of those incentives can be baked into our loyalty, our loyalty program. What is different about Orchard Miles loyalty program is how many times have you gone and shopped a brand site and said, actually, I probably shop this brand site once every six years. What's interesting about Orchard Mile is that you've got the full breadth of a brand network and you're being rewarded for that. It is, I guess, taking a page from what used to be the department store system, the in-circle rewards that Neiman uh, pioneered, Neiman Marcus pioneered, and saying, wow, can we do this, but for a network, a cooperative, direct-to-brand yeah, I mean, it's sometimes referred to Orchard Mile as Madison Avenue in the sky uh, and the best of multi-brand and the best of mono-brand in one environment. So it's really uh, creating this sort of network effect of all the best brands and allowing everyone to experience them in a multi-brand environment, uh, which I think is is absolutely key, and which I think brings us to this notion of the luxury wallet. If you are able to get the consumer into a multi-brand environment that is powered by brands that have vertical margins, um, presumably you can therefore be the wallet. You can be the payment mechanism by which they spend for all those kinds of experiences, whether it be on Orchard Mile or potentially one day in a store of the brand, uh, and even your own stores, uh, your pop-ups. So maybe talk about first the pop-ups that you do, uh, but also paint the picture of where that could go vis-a-vis actually having Orchard Mile send consumers into the brand stores themselves. Right. So I think brick and mortar has been a huge question mark for the retail industry for a while. We were just talking about a street in West Village that seems to have a lot of retail spaces open. And, you know, actually um, reading the reports this morning, it looks like there have been more store closures this year than the full year of 2018. So that trend continues to um, abound. And I think that one of the most exciting things is that I've seen, actually the future of e-commerce, is reimagining that physical space. So instead of thinking about a physical space in retail as, hey, I have all this square footage to sell stuff, which has been the typical thing, right? You're saying, actually, how can I use physical space as a billboard? How can I use it as reach? How can I use it as technology? How can I use it as a data acquisition tool? And so taking all these questions and saying, okay, if we really started from scratch and we wanted to do an asset light brick and mortar shop, what would that look like? So we've been doing um, over the past three years, a summer a shop, a brick and mortar shop in Martha's Vineyard. We did Greenwich, Connecticut last Christmas. We also did Palm Beach simultaneously, which was a lot of fun, a lot of scrambling to get all of that done. But I think what we were really looking at was, hey, we picked those locations because our consumers already from online, we could see the KPIs that they were popping there. So we already had a built-in audience. But also those stores are hyper-localized experiences. And what I mean by that is that people are actually saying, okay, what does the Martha's Vineyard summer look like? I want a piece of that action. I want to look like, you know, a Kennedy on vacation with all this Americana stripes and the big hats and all of that. So how can this retail experience deliver the dream? And that is what's fun about retail, right? As you deliver a persona that that consumer might not have been to, or been exposed to before. And that's who she is that summer because she's summering on the vineyard. So in that sense, we every person that came in was encouraged to build a mile. So on average, if we look at our database, half of the consumer base has created a mile of over five to six brands and the categories that pop within those brands, right? 
And so basically, if we look at the Martha's Vineyard consumer, we also see that in that region, people, after they come to the shop and they enter in their data, they also come back to the shop come back to the website and shop again, and often in similar brands, but not always the same ones that were in the store. We often tell them this is a pop-up. It's not representative of the full collection, but you can go back online to find the full collection. So that's our brick-and-mortar space. I think what the other question that you asked was about how do we drive people back into our brand partner stores? And so for, for the listeners here, What's important to know is that Orchard Mile is a digital concession. So stores, brands open up storefronts on Orchard Mile, and we have the full collections there. We are cloning the brand websites with our technology. So, so what's the biggest misconception that brands have, therefore, about their flagship on Orchard Mile? They assume that, number one, that we buy inventory, and number two, that they can't control it. And I think that's the biggest fear is that they're not going to control, going to be able to control their brand. Equity. So presumably you see marketplaces as a another point of controlled distribution versus another kind of uncontrolled distribution. It is a type of controlled distribution that has the firepower of reach and technology buoyed by SEO. Ba- based on that what does that potentially mean? If Orchard Mile is therefore a satellite that sits above all of uh, retail, uh, presumably uh, you do have stores then. You have the same amount of stores as the aggregate of all the stores of all the brands that are on Orchard Mile. So presumably hundreds, maybe a thousand. Um, Could you see a picture where that uh, allows you to basically light up their stores with your customers? Absolutely. You talked a little bit in the beginning about having tabs open, right? So if you have full collections of these brands, well, you can basically go showroom any of your favorite stores and purchase something online, which is at Orchard Mile, or presumably you can actually drop something in your basket and we could potentially have, once we link the in-store inventory, we could have that item delivered within 45 minutes to the consumer without having to build a warehouse. Because you'd know where she is and she happens to be two blocks away. And why send her to the store when it could be just dropped off at her apartment, which is around the corner? That's right. Anytime, anywhere. Path of least resistance. That's right. So what have been some of the pain points? Obviously, there's lots of wonderful things happening and the brands are coming on and you've got everyone from, you know, I think Chanel is probably one of the only marketplaces that they're on, uh, Balenciaga, Valentino, Prada, Montclair, etc. What what are some of the, the issues that sometimes you bang your head against the wall and say, come on, I wish they'd understand this or I wish this would happen faster or quicker or better? One of the biggest challenges that we have when we uh, approach brand partners is convincing them and persuading them and actually telling them that Orchard Mile is not a distribution point. It is actually a window into their own site, which is kind of a complicated concept to grasp. But recently we got um, highlighted in IAB's uh, most uh, important disruptive consumer brands, and it's a DTC list right? So we are seen as a DTC conduit. And that is something that we bring up to brands all the time. It is not wholesale. We don't own the product, right? And we are driving people to your site, but the conversion is better because there's a universal cart there. And what about um, returns? Uh, Free shipping, free returns is something you offer, but the consumer does receive two different packages from two different brands if she has a multi-cart 
um, what's that experience like for the consumer? And is it, is it a pain point or really not, not at all? It is a pain point. And to say that it's not a pain point is probably disingenuous. But we have been working tirelessly for, for the last four years to really overcome that pain point, and mainly through customer service. So we make sure that the label is either in the box or our customer service team is running after the brands to make sure that you get that RMA label um, immediately so you don't have to constantly follow up with the brand. And because we're delivering millions of dollars often in volume to some of our brands, we're the first in line in terms of getting the customer service request done. Um, I do think returns... Listen, I think 40% of all items in uh, e-commerce are returned, and it's a huge sustainability problem. If there was, and I haven't seen it yet, the industry keeps promising a fitting technology to get in here and really, really get in there with an avatar or what have you. So many people have tried and so many people have failed, but that is something that could enormously help us in that respect. What about international? International is uh, a huge opportunity for us. Um, It is a challenge of every entrepreneur to not go chasing after all the shiny balls. And every 30 minutes, we probably get another email from someone in Swaziland or Thailand or whatever saying, I'd love to shop the Orchard Mile site. Can you please ship this to me? Um, We did a three-month trial last year in which we tried this. However, what we found was that the customer service, because we weren't equipped in all those languages to deliver that high level of customer service that we needed, we pulled back immediately and said, actually, the U.S. is huge. Let's focus here. I want 90% of the segment that I want here, which is millennials, right? And then once we succeed here, then we can branch out. So we've dealt with some of the intricacies of the platform itself. Maybe let's spend the next period talking about some you know, macro things, industry things, you know, life things. Um, there's a lot made of uh, how hard it is in the technology world to be uh, a female founder. Uh, how, how have you found it being a female founder? And um, have you been able to find other female founders who... Uh, could commiserate with you? Are things changing in that regard? Is it harder, easier to raise money? I mean, what 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 does your instinct tell you about that uh, subject? Two years ago, I was at the Nantucket conference, and there was a guy who was a very lauded VC guy, and he had made a ton of money, and he was listing, rattling off. I'm sure every female founder listening knows this, rattling off all of the investments that he was most proudest of. And not a single one of those companies had a female founder attached, and probably a list of more than 10 to 15. And then I had the pleasure of listening to Zoe Berry, who is a um, female healthcare entrepreneur, actually. And she said, I've raised $42 million. But I will tell you the common thread among all the guys who invested in my company is that they all had daughters. And that was really eye-opening for me because I think that there is not just a regulatory, hey, you have to have more females on your board or I have to, you have to have a certain quota of this many dollars or a percentage of your fund going to females. That feels like an external force. And it's not that it's not going to do some good. I'm sure it will. But there is a sense of, hey, I see myself in this founder. I see my family in this founder. And I think that's really, really important to get across as well. And do you think it's more so the the point in Silicon Valley, or is it just in business, uh, tech? 
Yeah, I think the bro-y culture obviously still exists. I think it's more prevalent probably in Silicon Valley than it is in New York City. But that is uh, a guess. And I think it is getting better. I think uh, every everything that I hear is maybe it's almost like the pendulum has swung too far. Now it's everything's about female founders and not all of them are created equal necessarily. But uh, there there is a, at least a light on it, which is great. And so going to the industry a little bit, there is a um, an industry that is the most exquisitely beautiful uh, representation of art uh, being worn by people as fashion. And it is a long-standing tradition in our societies that uh, the beauty of fashion and textiles, fabric, embroidery, jewelry, all of the rest of it is, is an, it's a, it's, it's an art form. Um, on the other hand, you have um, sustainability issues in the world. You have the, the simplicity of life, uh, people trying to focus on minimalism. You have digital native brands who are trying to disintermediate the, uh, the, the cost structures of many of these kinds of industries. Um, you sort of sit at the, at the center of 200 plus brands who are of varying degrees of luxury and, and, and cost and, uh, and design. Um, how do you feel about this um, industry and, and the way it uh, pre- pre- presents itself to the consumer, presents itself to the world um, as being an arbiter of taste, uh, but also um, in, a, in a world that is very mindful, that is very um, open to change, uh, needing of change, and um, and maybe a little bit less uh, fickle than once upon a time when people really uh, were interested in um, what's the word I guess uh, conspicuous cons- consumption versus today maybe more inconspicuous consumption more the personal touch uh, versus for me wearing something for to make to impress you uh, Jenny <laughs> that's a long question um, and a very very broad and macro one but it's sort of interesting. For me to ask you that because you're sort of seeing data, you're seeing brands, you're seeing uh, consumers react with brands. Um, what, what, are, what do you make of all that? I think a lot of tech entrepreneurs actually poo-poo the luxury industry. They are not respectful of it. They think that potentially overpriced, as they say, overpriced goods are passe and why isn't everything DTC and why isn't everything Warby Parker? Um, I have a different view as Uh, Many people know sustainability has been a huge issue, and luxury is on the forefront of actual being sustainable. The idea that you have to wear something new every day and be be on a different Instagram shot is not what luxury is about. And I think for us at Orchard Mile, we're really thinking about that ethos, saying what is actually going to last you, you know, a couple seasons? What is something that's classic or versatile or something that's really, really apropos to your style? that you're going to love, that you're not going to have to replace out or send back. And I think a lot of these box companies, while they're incredible in revenue, there's a sustainability issue in that in and of itself, just buying and returning and having to wear something new every day. The idea of luxury for me is buying something that you love and you wear it multiple times and you know how to style it. And that's just style in and of itself. So teaching women about style and sustainability is something that we're excited about. At and you always say it's style is personal, right? Style is very personal. And, and push versus pull. You know, uh, the industry, not the industry, I mean, the, the world of media uh, uh, and of uh, design is always about creating the next thing that others should follow. 
um, it's been systemic. And that's, you know, you create something that people desire and they buy it and you therefore have an industry. Um, the consumer today, particularly in Orchard Mile, is pulling brands versus being pushed brands. They are given a selection of 200. Uh, they put 10 of them on their mile. And I remember one of our, our colleagues saying, you know, whatever next. Um, now, we're, now we're asking the uh, consumers to become retailers, right? Because they're making the choices. They're really setting themselves up. They're laying the table for their shopping experiences. So it, the, the, the upside down nature of that um, kind of makes the consumer the editor, makes the consumer the, the buyer in the corporate sense of the word. Um, how how do you see that sort of upside down happening continuing and 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 um, does it does it is it a moment in time or, or will it sort of reverse back to the way it was? I think this micro micro tribes of fashion aspect of the world is going to continue. Um, I think because everyone has access to everything, right? And so I was shocked when I went to San Francisco and I went to a bakery and I saw. They were kimchi cinnamon buns. And I'm Korean. I don't even like that. You know, like, I don't think that's a good idea. And all these kids are eating chocolate chip cookies made out of grasshopper flour. So I bring that up simply because I think in terms of personalization and having very, very unique choices, right, that really, really long tail, that's going to continue to grow and things are going to come in and out of style uh, I guess more quickly, like everything's in style and nothing's in style at the same time. So that one-to-one -one curation and getting it just right in that moment in real time is very, very important for retailers to survive. It's not about six months. It's not about three months. It's not about a one-month drop. It is about right here and right now. And so be, be optimistic. Uh, we're always optimistic. I think it, it, our, the culture of our company and, and yours, and uh, we, we sort of are a glass half full people. But what, what are you most interested in, uh, enthusiastic about over the next five years, about your company, about the industry? Um, what, what makes you smile when you wake up uh, at, in the morning and think about going to work? It's funny because it's a bit of a dichotomy. I'm actually most excited. I know this is going to sound weird about the pushback on tech. I am excited about the, the limits yeah. of, hey, I don't want to spend more than 15 minutes on Instagram. I don't want to spend more than 15 minutes on LinkedIn. I want to go out and enjoy the world and I want to experience the offline world. I hope that stores don't become a luxury. What I do see happening is that the East and West Coast will have stores and everyone in the middle will not because simply that's just how the economics work. And I think that's really sad. If we don't reinvent the brick and mortar experience and make those physical spaces actually productive in a way that works for brands, it is going to become a wasteland. Is it about hospitality and making people feel more welcome, um, making them places for people to hang out? I mean, I know you're doing a lot of work with hotel companies about activating their common areas for retail, maybe powering their retail for them. I mean, what retail hospitality, is that something that... Uh, are we reinventing something here? I hope so. I think it's, it's a really, really exciting new world. What To what extent can brands become marketplaces and marketplaces become brands? I mean, that whole thing is bleeding into each other. And instead of trying to chase audiences through Google and Facebook, why not go to adjacent audiences? Where else do you have a non-competitive spot as a company? And how do you get those consumers to also consider your brand is always a question that is is for us. And partnerships are the way of the world going forward. The collaborative economy is well, here. Exactly. That was going to be my, my last question, which is the notion of platform. I mean, 
cooperation, even if you think about the uh, Martha's Vineyard store that you put out with multiple brands participating, cooperating together to make something come to life, um, collaboration is it doesn't just come around in marketing campaigns. It can it can be on a platform as well to actually sell goods together and, and partner in different ways. Um, are there any examples of things that that you're doing or, or, or can can talk about here that are you know, pushing this platform concept? I think we continue to syndicate out this idea of brick and mortar stores, and again, not in a cookie cutter way. And that takes a little bit more time. Is that it's, different? And every time absolutely. they're open somewhere else, there's a different store. It's almost like Orchard Mile is a sub brand of a cool, cool retail experience that's hyper localized. Like Orchard Mile in Nashville should feel very different than Orchard Mile in uh, in Greenwich Village, right? So, to the extent that we can you know, bring that to life and illuminate that world for the consumer and bring back the love and the joy of what retail really is, which is an art form. It really is. It's an experiential art form. And if we can't get into the performance art aspect of that, then we failed as a company. So we continue to drive that forward. Well, a cool, cool place seems like a very good place to finish up. And uh, Jenny is one of the most talented, bright and warm people you'll ever meet. And uh, it's been a real joy to be able to have a little chat with you as we do very, very often. Yes, every day. thank you. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. <laughs>